0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me, if you would, this morning in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, another lesson on prayer. Luke 11, 1 through 13, we are studying the uh, intermediate or adolescent stages of prayer, where we left off. This passage gives us the baby prayers, the adolescent prayers, and the mature prayers, all in the same paragraph, in the same development. When you have the uh, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, you have the rote prayers by repetition, the prayers that you memorize, the prayers that you learn before you know how to pray, before you develop the intimacy with God the Father to be able to pray in such a manner. And then you have the adolescent prayers where uh, you have the uh, audacity to uh, be able to pray for things uh, without fully understanding uh, your undeserved reception of those things. And that's what we'll look at in terms of knocking on your neighbor's door at midnight and waking him up and uh, bothering him and his children. Then uh, it proceeds into the maturity prayers when you look at uh, verses 9 and following with the present imperatives to ask, to seek, and to knock. And uh, the threefold imperatives there we'll have to examine and consider if we are obedient to those imperatives or if we spend all our time asking and we don't even begin to comprehend what seeking and knocking is all about. So that's... Um, Where we will go here this morning before we do begin, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Make sure that each believer priest is filled with the Holy Spirit and that our time is sanctified. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before your throne of grace this morning, thankful for the truth of your word. And, Father, uh, just so thankful that uh, your word does not return void, but accomplishes the purpose for which you set it. And, Father, we are so finite and limited in our understanding and our appreciation for your glory and your power. Uh, we only get glimpses from time to time of everything that you're accomplishing, and we don't know the totality of what you do each time the word is taught from this pulpit. We thank you for the, the website ministry. We thank you for the provision that's made for uh, believers, pastors, anyone all over the world to take hold of the material. We learned a little bit about what's being done there in Kenya, and we're thankful for that. Uh, it is uh, h- uh, humbling to receive news of, of this type. And we do lift up uh, Pastor Machuka, his wife, uh, Bridget, their daughters and their ministry there, the pastors that they're training, and we just thank you so much for them. We ask that you would sustain and provide for them, Father, in a country where there's some tribal conflict, uh, there's some political unrest, there's some concern, Father, over some of the tribes' uh, overthrowing some of the elections and and the issues there. So, Father, uh, we ask that you might sustain them, protect them, that this day in particular might be a day of blessing on their behalf. Thank you for allowing us to be intercessors on their behalf and allowing us, we've never met them, we don't know them, we're total strangers, and yet we're family in Christ, and we thank you for that. So, Father, uh, this day is yours. We rejoice in your faithfulness. Teach us now from this study the principles of prayer, and we thank you in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen. All right, we are in the midst of main point four. There are six things we're going to get out of this development. And uh, I'm just going to skip on down to point four. I don't know the exact slide number, so we'll just run through. Actually, we got some visitors this morning, folks that don't normally make it. I like having holidays, and people ask, uh, are you going to cancel class because it's a holiday? I say, well, no, we get extra people here on these kind of days. So, you know, everybody else can take the day off. I don't mind working. Well, it's not really work anyway when it comes right down to it. I'm kind of embarrassed that I get paid to do this kind of stuff. All right. Now, this seems to be a duplication, and we studied the context for this under point one, and uh, this is not the context of the Sermon on the Mount, but much of the material here was given during the Sermon on the Mount earlier on in the uh, study. So way back in Galilean ministry, episode number 17, when we did the uh, Sermon on the Mount, then you would have had much of this material already. In particular, you would have had the disciples' uh, memorized prayer, uh, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, Uh, I guess I'm stuck with the label it's had now for, for 300 years since the King James gave it that title. But uh, I really find John 17 to be more clearly the Lord's Prayer in his maturity priesthood and interceding for uh, for us. But anyway, be that as it may, um, the contrast between the two episodes is important to understand. Skeptics will, of course, poke holes and say, well, there's contradictions and so forth, and, uh, and we don't really mind it. We showed you the parallel there. One thing that's not parallel, though, is the section we're focused on today with the neighbor. And going to the neighbor and knocking on the door and talking about a friend from a long journey, and I don't have anything to give him, can I get three loaves of bread, and so forth. That is unique to this Luke account. It's not found in Matthew. And so uh, it's really the section we're focusing in on the most as far as this study is concerned. Then secondly, we learned about the certain disciple. And uh, we don't know his name, but he wants to learn about prayer. He uh, was familiar with the baptizer's ministry, but not part of it, as were most of Christ's earlier disciples. Uh, also, he was not present for the Sermon on the Mount. Had he been around that long, at least, then he would have already had this teaching. And hes uh, we don't know how new he is, but he's at least newer than that. He uh, joined up with following after Christ, after the Sermon on the Mount portion of his Galilean ministry. So... Uh, I think it's neat that we get these uh, little inklings in the scripture. They're, they're good reminders for us in the function of a local church where you've got newer believers, just got saved believers, or maybe maybe they're not young in their faith, but they're new to this ministry. They uh, just came here from other churches and so forth. And uh, maybe they haven't had a lot of the teaching that some of the other folks have had. And so it's important that you review them periodically. And even the folks that had it before, uh, it's interesting, as you read through here, I don't see Peter or anybody rolling their eyes saying, oh, here we go again, he's teaching us on prayer. All right, Because even if you had it before, you need to get it again, again and again and again. And it never fails. Every time you go through it, there's something new that's going to come in. And in this chapter, it was the story of the man with his neighbor and the knocking on the door and the things there. But every time you go through a doctrine, you learn more than you learned before. Now, the prayer given here is shorter than Matthew's uh, recorded prayer, but it does convey the same general pattern. When you look at the six elements of the uh, so-called Lord's Prayer, um, you can spell them out there, and it does. It gives you a pattern where you can train a new believer in how to pray and, and show them the elements that are important in a, uh, in a priesthood or in a prayer life. But then Jesus expanded his prayer discourse, and he does so with a parable. In verses 5 through 8. So let's look at it. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers, that is the, the neighbor, uh, answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Notice as we read through here, how many times the word friend appears. Also notice which verses the word friend is absent. (laughs) Because the word friend is not used in verse 7. When the guy that got woke up says, uh, do not bother me. Doesn't call him friend there. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Friendship is not causative in this instance. And I think it's not causative in this instance because the friendship is one way. The, the one in need is calling the other guy friend. The one not in need, the one being woken up and bothered, is not calling the first guy friend. And so you've got a one-way friendship here where one guy calls the other his friend, but it's not necessarily return, not necessarily reciprocal. All right. I don't know if you've ever had friends in that regard. I've... I have over the years people I've considered friends, and whether they've considered me a friend or not, that's fine; doesn't matter to me. But um, it's interesting that we see that in this situation here. Friendship is not causative to the provision. What is causative? So he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend. Yet, because of his obnoxious persistence, and we've studied, we did the word study last week. We'll return to that a little bit this week. Uh, his obnoxious shamelessness. Is what this is. Often rendered boldness. Um, he, or persistence. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. So that's the causative factor in the provision. Not for friendship, but for audacity. And audacity may be our best uh, 21st century American Texican kind of word to, to use in understanding what's going on here. So, I say to you then the application, then, is to go beyond the adolescent prayers and get to the mature, developed prayer life of ask, seek, and knock. And that's what we get into in verses 9 and following. So prayer is not based on rapport friendship. Prayer is not based on rapport friendship. Remember, philos love, phileo love, philos friendship, is what's in view here every time uh, they use the term friend. But that's not the basis for the provision. Uh, it would be a terrible set of circumstances if our uh, if the provision of prayer was grounded on intimacy. And we'll see that it's not. God's faithfulness is grounded on his character. It's grounded in his agape love, not his phileo love. And if you've ever done the studies and the contrast between agape and phileo, then uh, I think you'll have a framework for, for breaking this down. Successful requisition is obtained through shamelessness shamelessness and we surveyed the different uh translations as i said most of the modern english texts including uh new king james new american standard holman uh they render persistence with respect to this uh darby uh the cev gnt uh all had shamelessness which is my preferred rendering for the term uh we showed you some of the um other uses of it both uh in uh in uh, Josephus, where we found some some very colorful uses of it, and other secular uses, it's hard to glean a New Testament use because it's so limited in its in its scope here. Anyway, the uh, the vocabulary for anidea a n a i d e i a 335 in the Strong's index. Um, King James has importunity, which is better than persistence, but maybe it's. Uh, so, Elizabethan, that we don't use importunity as much anymore. Impudence is a good way of rendering it. Impudence, which is what the ESV did. In any event, that's the, that's the um, impact. It's not friendship that motivates the giving. It's the onedea that motivates the giving. And uh, I think rather than compare English text to other text and decide which one we like best to render on idea, we are going to go through the details of these verses and we're going to find the ten elements of what's going on here. And when we put those ten elements of what's going on here together, then we see ultimately that the shameless audacity is the best way to consider what on is communicating. Remember, do dictionaries determine meanings of words? Usage determines the meaning of a word in every single time. All right. Shameless impudence rightly describes our prayer to God the Father. Shameless impudence. Now, shameless impudence is, in fact, the adolescent stage of our prayers. Uh, Hopefully, we grow beyond that when we get to the mature capacity for prayers. um, The asking, seeking, and knocking on the mature basis of an adult son uh, will we'll recognize that the shameless impudence gets set aside or it gets diminished. But, that being said, there are still aspects of prayer, no matter how mature we are, we have to, at the end of the prayer, say, you know what, this is rather impudent of me. Who do I think I am <coughs> to go to the God of the universe and ask for anything? When I ask, when I seek, when I knock, even on a mature basis, there's still is the reality that it's only grace that lets us do this. And apart from grace, we are as shameless and impudent and anything we dare ask for, who are we? What do we think we need? And so forth. So we'll, we'll look at that. Now, the ten elements. We got through about half of them a week ago and we'll pick up, uh, we'll, we'll hit the highlights again and then uh, wrap it up here today. <clears throat> shameless impudence. First of all, As we said a moment ago, we're looking at a one-way friendship. We're looking at a one-way friendship. Verse 5 related over to verse 8. I think you can also glean the absence of the term friend in verse 7 as an indicator there as well. A one-way friendship with more important friends. A one-way friendship with more important friends. And everything we see in these ten elements is so descriptive of adolescence. We can even think about human adolescence. We can think about the, um, the, the world of, of uh, a standard adolescent mindset. Okay? Now, there are exceptions, of course, and there's good kids and not-so-good kids, and there's flat-out bad kids out there, but there are traits common to an adolescent mindset that we need to recognize and understand what it is. And it's... Uh, part of what we deal with in our teen class, part of what we deal with with our parents and so forth. In that uh, amazing period of, hum- of the human experience where you're in that transition in between childhood and adulthood. And uh, the thinking is kind of trapped in between. There's still ways that think in a childish way. and There's the beginnings of thinking in adult capacity. The bodies are caught in between. There's aspects of a child's body there, aspects of an adult body there. And you all understand this. But one of the elements of adolescent mentality is a focus on self. It comes to me more often than not. And so some of these elements that we see here, including this one-way friendship, and the more important friends, and all the, oh my goodness, the drama of high school. And with, I don't know, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but my perception is the drama increases on the girl side of the equation than the boy side of the equation i might be wrong but all of the drama about who's my friend and my best friend and who, if you're friends with so-and-so you can't be friends with me and are you more friends with me than you are with them and and oh my goodness i think guys kind of relax about that more so than the girls in, in many respects i'm getting some nods okay i'm not totally out on a limb <clears throat> but this in this case it's clearly a one-way friendship And as far as this impudent requester is concerned, the guest that came from a distance that's now in his house, that's hungry, that needs he's more important than the other friend. Because his needs come first. Right here, right now at midnight, it's gonna happen. It can't wait till the morning. And and this friend, his hunger is more important than that other friend's sleep. Alright? I also think it's interesting that Uh, The more important friend is a friend of the first man and not necessarily a friend of the second man. He's not going to his house, right? Uh, He's going to the the house of of the impudent requester. So it may very well be that this guy from out of town has no friendship, no relationship, no uh, nothing related to the the man that's sleeping inside with his children and the bread. (laughs) So as far as that goes. A one-way friendship with more important friends. And think about it. It's interesting because in the adolescent mentality of prayer, it's a one-way friendship. Prayer is only to get things from your friend up there in heaven. And often it's not for the sake of that friend up there in heaven. It's for what you've got going on here on earth, in particular your other friends your unbelieving friends, your worldly minding Christians, or so forth, uh people who themselves don't have that friendship access to heaven. I find it quite interesting. Secondly, we've got immediate satisfaction demanded. Immediate satisfaction demanded. You gonna drop that thermostat down just a touch? Thank you. Thank you, sir. We wanted to take an edge off an hour ago, I think we've taken the edge off. <laughs> Now we've got a different edge going on. Yeah. Thank you. We're so spoiled. (laughs) You know, churches in Kenya and the Philippines and whatever tell them, oh, we're a little cold because it's 63. Let's take the edge off, shall we? And now we're too warm at 73. All right. But notice the immediate satisfaction. He comes at midnight, needs it right here, right now. Right here, right now. See, the more mature prayer life understands that the Father has already made provision in his plan in eternity past. And the earthly realization of that will take place at the proper time. And so a more mature prayer is make provision in the right way at the right time, in the way that gives the maximum glory to Jesus Christ. And it may not be right here, right now. All right, that's the more mature prayer life. But the adolescent prayer life, right here, right now. Very similar to many other things in the adolescent uh, way of thinking, where uh, the immediacy of things uh, becomes the utmost of urgency, such as uh, maybe a homework assignment or something that's due Monday morning and that was waited until Sunday afternoon or evening or something. And, oh, my, I've got to write this report. And uh <laughs> things like that. All right. Immediate satisfaction demanded. It's an aspect of adolescent prayer. Thirdly, specific quantity is expected. Specific quantity is expected. Three loaves. Why not two? Why not five? Why the exact number? Because he knows what he wants. He wants it now, and he knows the specific quantity. And um, again, I think that's an aspect of an adolescent approach to prayer. The mature approach is, Father, grant what is sufficient. Grant what I need. Uh this is what I observe. My uh in my consideration this is what's necessary, but it's up to the father. Maybe two loaves is sufficient. Maybe uh actually three loaves is insufficient. Maybe we need 10 loaves, but we're too embarrassed to ask for 10, so we ask for three. Or maybe we think uh we we only need uh we only need two, so we ask for three, thinking that he'll bargain us down and we'll end up with Is that how prayer works? All right. So it's an adolescent approach. It's not a mature approach. A mature approach with ask, seek, and knock uh, leaves it with a father to make the provision according to what he knows we need, according to what he knows we can handle, the capacity that he designates. So it's interesting in terms uh, in, in in our own prayers, in our church prayers, for example, for the construction costs of the building and all these other things, there are finite numbers, there are specific quantities, and yet when we go to the Father in prayer, we're simply asking Him to, to meet the need. And if He wants to give short of that, that's His good pleasure. If He gives more than that, that's His good pleasure. And what He gives and what He withholds, His name is still blessed, and we praise Him for that. What else do we have? Arrogant and empty promises of repayment. (laughs) Loan me three loaves of bread. An adolescent approach to prayer changes from a request to uh, have and receive to a loaning, borrowing. What is that? What could we possibly borrow from God and then repay Him back? And, And yet, how many believers do you know that offer... They're, they're trying to bribe God in their prayers. Oh, God, bail me out of this and I'll do this. Bail me out of this problem and I'll, I'll serve you. I'll give you money. I'll whatever, whatever. See? Yeah, the drowning man trying to get to shore and, and different things. Arrogant and empty promises of repayment. You know, if I was the neighbor, I'd wonder, well, how, how do you expect to pay me back these three loaves of bread? You don't have any bread. <laughs> you know? Your, your kitchen's so empty, a guy comes in from out of town, you can't even feed him. You're going to pay me back? All right, arrogant and empty promises of repayment. We also see failure to prepare. Failure to prepare. A friend of mine has come to me from a journey. I have nothing to set before him. Well, why not? Did you not know he was coming? Or did you know and fail to prepare? You were caught off guard. What's going on? And uh, more often than not, an adolescent approach to prayer, this is, again, observed a considerable uh, amount of a believer's prayer life often is focused on um, prayer requests that wouldn't even exist if better decisions had been made prior to the uh, circumstance. All right. And that's, uh, and that's what it is. Um, the, the, the blessing of that, though, I have to say, the blessing of that is that God gives to all generously and without reproach. Even when we find ourselves in this situation, God does not uh, hold it against us or say, well, dummy, you should have prepared because he gives to all generously and without reproach. He says, well, you, you made bad decisions back then. I'm not going to give anything to you. It's not what he does. Now, we made bad decisions back then. We still face consequences, yes. But from this day forward, we're making better choices. We're going to God the Father for provision. And so, with respect to today's prayer request, the Father gives to all generously and without reproach and that's uh, that is such a such an encouragement because that's not human. <laughs> human beings bear grudges, human beings hold things against people for things in the past and whatever else. So the failure to prepare is an interesting element um, the uh I think in the mature aspect of prayer, there still may be that. We, meet, we still, on a mature basis, can go to the Father and freely admit our failure to prepare. And yet, uh, I think in the adolescent stage here, um, he's realizing it but not expressing it. At least on the mature basis, we can realize it, express it, and say, "Father, I failed to prepare for this. I'm totally negligent. I'm uh, I'm in need, and I've got nowhere else to go. I'm going to you, <laughs> Father. Provide, provide for this. All right." Now, additional items. Not only did he fail to prepare, but there is a failed attempt to provide also here in verse 6. The first part where he says, a friend has come to me from a journey. So there's failure of preparation. Didn't communicate. Didn't know the schedule. Didn't know when the guy was coming. Or maybe didn't know the guy was coming at all. But then he says, I have nothing to set before him. And you wonder, what was it he tried to do? What was it he, when he scoured his cabinets? When he uh, looked to see what was on hand? I have nothing to set before him. In other words, I can't do anything. (laughs) A failed attempt to provide. Do we ever, of course we do, but we, we try things first. And then when that doesn't work, then we pray. So prayer kind of becomes the backup. To after we've tried something in human effort, after we've tried, we say, and then we have to admit, well, I tried, but it didn't work, so Father, can you do something about this problem? Realize how adolescent that is? Are we not commanded to go to Him first? And so forth. The, um, we don't want to limit our prayers to the things we can't handle. Or the things we think we can't handle. We're going to see in the mature aspect, ask, seek, and knock, that prayer is involved at every phase. And even if it's something we're expected to do something about, we're going to do something about it having prayed first. Having prayed first. And that will come up here as well. Because the uh, that's what the seeking and the knocking is about in terms of our actions and what it is we're expected to do in a ministry opportunity or in a service um, assignment that he gives in verse seven we also observe here now a disregard for convenience or pleasure a disregard for convenience or pleasure the idea here of do not bother me this is not pleasing to the one inside the door and the man outside knocking has a total disregard for the convenience or the pleasure of the one that he's making the request from that's a Typical adolescent approach. The, the feelings of the other person aren't uh, considered whatsoever because my feelings are the only ones that are important. I am the center of the universe. That's the adolescent mentality. So we have the disregard here for convenience or pleasure. We're going to learn that the mature blessings of prayer are entirely focused on the pleasure of God the Father. That's what prayer should be seeking, seeking the pleasure of God the Father. So disregard for convenience or pleasure. Remember, in the adolescent approach, your convenience is the only one that matters. And waiting till morning? Oh my goodness! How inconvenient would that be? (laughs) So, inconveniencing that man who's sleeping with his children inside with the locked door and the bread, inconveniencing him is more important than my inconvenience of waiting till tomorrow morning to get some bread to provide for my guest. You see the disregard for convenience or pleasure, the um, being pleasing to God the Father. As we uh, proceed in our ministry workshop in the in the uh, uh, Plan of God series that we just started two weeks ago, we're going to see that pleasing God the Father is a key part because His purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ, and as we glorify Jesus Christ, we're pleasing the Father. Why does it please the Father? Because we're special? No. Because we're contributing to His purpose to glorify Jesus Christ. That's what pleases the Father. So keep that in mind as you go through your, uh, your ongoing reading. We also see a disregard for family. It's not just the man that's being bothered, but there's children there as well. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. So the man is inconvenienced. His children are inconvenienced. All right? There's no word here on the children's mother or the, uh, the man's wife. Why is that? Well, show me God the mother in, in Scripture, right? You've got God the Father and you've got the sons of God. Okay, This is a parable that is teaching us the realities of prayer. And the sadness of it is, is that because this believer, the neighbor... Outside, because this is a believer on an adolescent basis, he's maintaining a household adjacent to God the Father's household. You notice that? He's outside the door knocking. He's supposed to be one of the children inside the house, to where he's not (laughs) maintaining a household apart from the household of God, where the provision is from the beginning. So amazing. All right. But a disregard for family. We already pointed out that there are friendships apart from the friendship with this man. Friendships apart from the friendships with God the Father. Friendships with an individual, the traveler, who is not himself a friend with God the Father. And what is that? Friendship with the world. What does James call that? All right. So when you're maintaining these hostile friendships and you're maintaining a household apart from the household of God, what are you doing? All right. There's so much more to this, but we're just, as we, as we go through these ten elements of what we're observing in these verses, I think it's becoming pretty clear that the best understanding of anedea uh, is not persistence in view. Persistence is what gets taught in, in chapter 18 with the widow and the, and the unrighteous judge. That clearly is a message on persistence, and the word persistence is used. In this passage, the word persistence is not used. The word obnoxious is used. The word uh, for shamelessness is used. And so we need to call shamelessness, shamelessness, because that's what it is. Disregard for family. Also, disregard for ability. Disregard for ability. And I find it interesting because the word cannot is used here. Do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot Get up and give you anything. I cannot. Now, for some folks, the idea of cannot is um, uh, rejected or, or it makes them uncomfortable. We think, well, I don't, I, don't want to use any, I don't want to use cannot with God. Because with God, all things are possible. We understand omnipotence and so forth. But recognize also cannot. Under what circumstances can God not answer prayer? Right. There are conditions and circumstances in which God will not hear, in which He closes His ears. We find that your iniquities have created a barrier between you and God, we're told. Um, There are lots of things God cannot do. God cannot abide iniquity in the solemn assembly. There are many things God cannot do. God cannot lie. I mean, there are plain statements of Scripture, dozens of them, that, that lay out things God cannot do. If you ever want to do a fruitful study, go find them all. And, uh, and, and list what God cannot do. And then when you uh, work that out, then you realize that the uh, definition of omnipotence is, well, God can do anything. That's a bad definition. You can do a better definition of omnipotence than that. All right. But disregard for ability. He says he cannot do it. We want to understand that. Now, he eventually does get up and do it. And he does so with a motivating factor of audacity. <coughs> And I find it interesting when the father chooses to get up and give him on the basis of audacity, then there's another purpose at work as well. I believe it's to teach something to his children. Well, we'll uh, perhaps talk about that here this morning. Finally, we find the motivation in verse 8. Despite a friendship deficiency, shameless impudence, Motivates total provision for every need. Despite a friendship deficiency, shameless impudence motivates total provision for every need. And that's the application from verse 8. When Jesus Christ says, I tell you, <clears throat> this is the application. Even though he will not get up and give him anything. Zero. Right? Right? Like Rush Limbaugh likes to say, "Zip, zero, nada." You ever listen to that? <clears throat> now, no confession. Now, I don't. I don't need to know. Even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his onidaea, shameless impudence, the audacity of his shamelessness. So uh, I kind of like obnoxious audacity. It's not in my nose. It just. Sprang off my tongue this morning. I like it, though. Shameless audacity. Obnoxious audacity. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. Total provision, as much as he needs. So, realize this is Jesus Christ's application of the text. Now, um, there are things in the parable, of course, that are not true with respect to God. Like when he says, do not bother me. God's not bothered by prayers. Uh, Just like... In chapter 18, when we have the parable of the unrighteous judge, again, there's things in that parable that aren't true. God is not an unrighteous judge. But the unrighteous judge is used as a character in the parable in order to teach the principle. That's what the parable does. And so this man that's bothered is a character used to teach a principle. And that's what this principle is, that the um, shameless impudence does motivate total provision. So now let me ask. We've got... Baby prayers, early on, memorized by rote, recited, and so forth. You've got adolescent prayers here, described as shameless impudence. And then we've got mature prayers that is coming up for us here in verses 9 and following. So let me ask, is it only the mature prayers that get answered? Do baby prayers get answered? Yes, they do. Baby prayers get answered. Do adolescent prayers get answered? Exactly. Exactly. And that's what this passage is saying. As shamelessly impudent, obnoxious, audacity, as much as these prayers are thoughtless, selfish-oriented, and so forth, God will still answer those prayers. Why? Because of the audacity. And consider what the Father's purpose is. The Father's purpose is to glorify the Son. The Father's purpose is to demonstrate grace. Remember, grace is provision in spite of the fact that people don't deserve it. And so audacious prayers, obnoxious audacity prayers are the greatest opportunity for the father to show grace and to teach baby believers, mature believers alike, that the the father is a father of provision. So as this man in the parable then, as this man gets up, wakes up his children, unlocks the door, provides, he has the opportunity to do what? To teach his children, look at this man that didn't prepare. Look at this man that was unprepared. Look at this man that didn't plan ahead. Look at this man that uh, the ten categories of audacity. Learn from it. <laughs> don't become, uh, don't don't follow this pattern. Learn from it. See, the father still answers, but others can learn from it. You know, ooh. See, anytime a believer is graced out, there's an opportunity. Like David, graced out as adultery of Bathsheba, as murder of, of Uriah. And all of that, he's forgiven and he's restored. He's graced out to the max. And it becomes an opportunity to learn. Learn from it. And so we see the principles in action here. All right. We move on to verses 9 through 13. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's a loaf and a fish. If you ask for a loaf, he will not give you a stone. If you ask for a fish, he will not give you a snake. Matthew's loaf, stone, fish, snake illustrations in Luke become a fish, snake, egg, scorpion set of illustrations. Some of the distinctions between the Matthew record and the Luke record. So when we read here, um, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish, you will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, you will not give him a scorpion, will he? All right, So those are the examples that Luke records. Matthew recorded uh, the fish snake, but prior to that, he recorded the loaf stone. And then uh, Matthew didn't say anything about the egg scorpion. All right, Does that bother us in any way? No, not at all. Again, the Bible haters, the skeptics, the, the ones that poke holes and things and say, oh, look, here's a discrepancy and so forth, are picking nets where it's not really necessary. This is a message that was repeated I imagine not just twice, I think he taught this lesson again and again and again and again. And every time he taught it, he probably grabbed illustrations that came off the top of his head. And if he taught it again in John or some other gospel, we'd probably find something else that gets used there. We could teach it today and substitute other things in there, right? So uh, the principle being that if something legitimate is, is required and needed and asked for, God is not sick and twisted and God's not going to provide something that resembles it but not quite or something that actually is damaging and deadly rather than uh, rather than beneficial. It's not the kind of God we have. So we could, uh, you know, we could update this with modern 21st century technological things. You know, we could talk about iPods or whatever, right? And uh, uh, if a son asks for an iPod, the father will not give him a uh, reel-to-reel tape recording machine, right? You know, <laughs> or something like that. Okay, what kind of a, what kind of an unloving father would do that? So, this is uh, what we look at now. This parable is teaching a Trinitarian principle. The Trinitarian principle. This is the mature basis for our prayers. And we ought to, in our prayer life, consider this Trinitarian application. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. And even though the man, the neighbor in the parable was so selfish and adolescent in thinking and, and thoughtless and so forth, he still, what did he do? He did all of those. He, um, he maybe didn't understand why he was doing them. And he certainly didn't have the mature capacity to be able to do them um, to the degree that he should have done them. Uh, because truly the asking, seeking and knocking should have been done ahead of time before the man arrived. And like I said, he should have been one of the children inside the house with the father. In which case, um, the, uh, the knocking becomes quite interesting when you're already inside the house, isn't it? Can you knock if you're already inside? Yeah, and you're commanded to. In fact, you can, even as you seek additional um, intimacy, each layer of that intimacy has an additional door that needs to be knocked. I think when you get to the uh, the, the Revelation 3 with Laodicea, the uh, I, when Jesus is knocking, I stand at the door and knock, we understand that there are elements of fellowship that require conscious um, access and participation in. And that's, um, well, that's... Something we'll get into, not today, but something just to think about in the, in the months ahead as you consider, am I truly, deliberately, fellowshipping with Jesus Christ? You know, or am I just assuming that it's an automatic thing that happens when I'm in fellowship? At what point am I uh, deliberately, mentally, spiritually, as an act of my priesthood, opening that door and engaging in the fellowship with Jesus Christ and God the Father? So, we'll we'll talk about that. All right, here's your vocabulary. Ask. It is a present active imperative from the verb aiteo. A-I-T-E-O, aiteo, number 154 in the Strong's Index. We've got a couple of asking uh, words in the Greek, aiteo and erotao, and some of the things we do in uh, first year, actually second year Greek, I think we distinguish between aiteo and erotao. Because, yeah, you don't get erotao until you get your a-o verbs at the very end. But, uh, with iteo, you're asking for items, you're asking for provision, you're asking for, uh, things of substance and so forth. Erotao is more of a questioning type, asking for information approach. But here's iteo. And notice, in its, uh, in its inflection, iteta, it is a present active imperative. A present active imperative. You're gonna learn what this is, maybe you already know what this is. But if you don't yet know, Today you get to find out. Present active imperative from Aiteo. Present tense is the continuous action tense. Continuous action in present time. A mature life is a continuous prayer life. Mature prayers are continuous prayers. Mature prayers are pray without ceasing in First Thessalonians 5. Mature prayers, see the adolescent or the immature prayers are ask once, don't get it, give up. grow discouraged oh prayer doesn't work God doesn't hear I asked one time and it didn't just materialize like bingo you know zip bang bang magic wand kind of thing it's not prayer ask keep on asking I like the translations that say keep on asking because it's that continuous action in present time alright active voice means the subject is the one accomplishing the activity of the verb Prayer is not something done to us. Prayer is something we actively do. Uh, Human beings are the active agents of prayer in in this context, in this capacity. We must do this. Active voice places the activity on the shoulders of the subject of the verb. We are the ones doing it. And then the imperative mood is the mood of command. It's the mood of command. God has provided the command, the instruction, the order. And as a command, this is important, as a command, God has directed that it is His will for us to do this. We call this His directive will, what He directs. But there is a distinction between what He decrees and what He directs. The decretive will and the directive will. And I think this is something that people blend. And when they blend it, they end up with, um, they end up with some confusion or they end up with some struggles. When God decrees something in His decretive will, it happens. God decreed, let there be light. There was light. All right? And so the decretive will of God occurs. It's an expression of sovereignty. It's an expression of power. And everything he decrees occurs. Everything he directs in his directive will is given to volitional creatures. Human beings are angels, actually, uh, first. But uh, directive will is expressed as a directive to volitional beings. And it is either done or not done. In obedience it's done. In disobedience it's not done. And of course in disobedience where it's not done. Then uh, discipline takes place. God uh, may overrule. God may then make it a matter of not only directive will. But decretive will. And actually make something happen. But first he had directed for it to happen. See. Anyway, directive will is important to study. When God issues a command, he expects it to be obeyed. Uh, he also never issues a command that is impossible to obey. Uh, God is not stupid or, or illogical or insane to, to issue a command that, that cannot be followed. All right. So everything he commands is expected to be obeyed and within the capacity of the person to do so. And we all have this capacity to approach his throne of grace in prayer because by grace he has uh, provided for that for every believer. All right, so a present active imperative. Continuous action in present time um, means if there's ever a point where we stop doing this, then we're in violation. If, there, if there's ever a point where we stop going to our father for provision, we start relying on ourselves, or we go to the alternate father, the God of this age, or we uh, find some other source, we think we can make provision for something, then we have violated this imperative on a sin of omission basis because it's a present imperative. Active voice, we're supposed to be doing it. If uh, you're relying on somebody else to do it, then you're not doing it. You're violating the active voice. Again, the imperative mood. This is what we look at in terms of material obtainment, things that you need and uh, that's the first step, and not the only step. It's only baby and adolescent prayers that limit prayer to things that we think we need. Your father knows you need these things before you even ask. Ask is the is the procedure for material obtainment. But there's a second imperative here, and that's the imperative to seek. Zeteo, Z E T E O, Zeteo, 22:12. Zeteo, In your Strong's Concordance, number twenty-two twelve, zeta again. The ending is eta, the zeteta, present active imperative, present tense. Do I need to repeat all this? Continuous action in present time. If you ever stop seeking the will of God, you're in violation. Continuously seek, continuously ask, continuously seek, continuously knock. Active voice, the subject has to accomplish it. This is uh, expected of every believer priest. Imperative mood. It is the mood of command. And by the way, this uh, was given by Jesus Christ during the stewardship of Israel, where not every believer was a priest. I find that interesting. Ask, seek, and knock. It's a prayer pattern. Sometimes we, re- we relate prayer with priesthood because we have both, but non-priests could pray in the Old Testament you didn't have to be a priest to pray. Um, different studies there. Wisdom obtainment. Wisdom obtainment. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. Uh, anything that you seek in terms of guidance, in terms of divine guidance, wisdom, information, the will of God, all of that comes in the realm of Seeking. These are the things that you must seek, and you must seek them in particular on the daily basis of the Christian experience because you don't have a passage of Scripture that tells you, you know, there's no verse that says, uh, you know, make this choice. You're considering a job offer. You're considering a relocation to a different town, and you can't find, oh, look at this. All right, Pastor Bob, thou shalt live in Austin, Texas. How about that? Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, as you grow in the Word of God, as you mature in your intimacy with the Father, you have principles from the Word of God, and then you go to Him in prayer seeking. Seeking how those principles can have an immediate realization in your application. I'll tell you one thing right now. (laughs) If there's a town that doesn't have doctrinal teaching, you think it's God's will for you to be there? Then God wants you in a location without a lampstand, without a local church? Without a body of believers that's going to build you up in the faith and strengthen you in the inner man? Now, if there's, a, if there's a town that's got that kind of teaching, then I'd consider that might be the will of God for me to move there. And so forth. Anyway, seeking. And the blessing is that God will provide. Seeking, you will find. That is the provision. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the... Um, the uh, fish and snake thing is is encouraging because we know that when we have found what we found, it is what we need, and we trust that he's not leading us astray. When you make a faith decision under conviction of the Holy Spirit, you're making the right decision. So important because I think Satan loves to work some guilt in and work some what ifs in there and and try to work us over with some. Uh, Doubts and so forth, and hindsight. Oh, did I make the right choice? And 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 agonizing. Oh, well, maybe I did wrong, and well, maybe I should change what I did. Don't do that. Walk by faith, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you make your choice on a faith basis, move on, because He didn't give you a snake. All right, He did not give you a snake. Assuming, of course, that you were genuine in your seeking. I think there's also some disingenuous seeking that goes on. And people, believers, find what they want to find because they weren't really asking for God's will. And they were saying, oh, please show me, let me go to so-and-so, or let me do such-and-such, or let me... And then they see something that they think is a sign from God. They say, aha, my answer to prayer. And they go off and they do what they want to do in the first place. And they only covered it, they rationalized it in their mind with this, Well, I prayed about it, and God gave me a sign, and and here I am. Now you found what you wanted to find, and you did what you wanted to do. And you used a disingenuous prayer mechanism to uh, soothe your guilt or, or satisfy yourself that you're doing the good thing. Wisdom obtainment. Material obtainment, wisdom obtainment. That's why we're joining right now with Cliff and Terry and seeking God's will for where God wants them to be. And we don't let any prayer meeting go by without lifting that up to the throne of grace because they need wisdom. Absolutely they need wisdom. Knock. Knocking is, um, I think, the one that's left out the most because, well... Let's look at it. Crueta. It's not a, really a word we're very familiar with. Cruo doesn't occur all that often. Um, 29, 25. Cruo is K R O U O. It is the word that's used in Revelation 3. It's used in a variety of places. And, uh, it means to knock. And it's generally used with doors and, and things like that. Literally, not. A metaphor, as often, uh, it's used more literally, I think, in the scriptures. So, uh, Peter, when he got out of jail, was trying to get into the prayer meeting, and couldn't get into the prayer meeting, no matter how much he knocked, and a little servant girl came and thought she was seeing things. And Anyway, Crueta, present active imperative. You getting tired of hearing this yet? Present active imperative. Continuous action in present time. Keep on knocking. Now, this is for service obtainment. You're going to obtain material necessity, Uh, You're going to obtain wisdom. But then also the third provision, the obtainment of service. Obtainment of service. And this is an active voice. This is where I think um, we tend to get passive. We kind of think, well, you know, if a door opens, then okay, I'll, I'll go through it. Almost on a passive basis. Were you knocking in the first place? Because what is it that triggers that door to be open? Knocking. Knock and it shall be opened. That's right. And so I think there's a passive understanding. A lot of believers have a passive understanding of ministry for service, saying, well, you know, the door hasn't really opened for me yet, so I'm not really uh, uh, going to uh, engage in this ministry at this point. Okay, well, no, I accept that. If the door is not yet open, then, then you can't, if the door is not yet open. Remember, Jesus Christ opens doors no man can shut, shuts doors no man can open, and he's the one that's going to do the opening anyway. But have you been knocking or not? All right, ask, seek, and knock. There's so much more to this. Spurgeon actually had some of the neatest sermons on this. He loved this passage, absolutely loved this passage. Spurgeon was a great man of prayer. He uh, he tied these to faith, hope, and love. And he said, faith uh, asks, hope seeks, and love knocks. And I thought, you know what? There is some real wisdom in that, real application there. Faith asks. And we need to have faith when we ask. Uh, You've got to ask believing, whatever you ask believing you will receive. So faith clearly is a prayer application. But hope seeks that positive anticipation of Elpis, where you are anticipating the will of God and hope uh, seeks. I can, I can see that. But then the knocking which is knocking for fellowship with Jesus Christ and knocking for service. Open door ministry uh, opportunities for service. Love was what motivates that. Love motivates that. So love knocks. And I appreciated that. Last thing I'll give you here. It's not enough for another class. Let's just take two extra minutes here tonight. This morning. Baby point six in your outline, as I've been saying, baby prayers are formulaic. Baby prayers are formulaic. Adolescent prayers are impudent. But it's the mature prayers that are fervent and effectual. Continuously asking, continuously seeking, continuously knocking. Baby prayers are formulaic. Adolescent prayers are impudent. Mature prayers are fervent and effectual. You ever see this poem? I got up early one morning And rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish. That I didn't have time to pray. You've read this before. Problems just tumbled about me. And heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me I wondered. He answered. You didn't ask. I wanted to see joy and beauty. But the day toiled on gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said. But you didn't seek. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys in the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, my child, you didn't knock. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. It's been out for years and years and years. I don't know who wrote it, but it's a a neat poem with ask, seek, and knock. And a reminder, if you've got a lot to get done today, get it started right. Get it started right. Thank you, Father, for this day, for our class, for our time together. Thank you for the additional folks to join us. We just thank you for being faithful in our lives day by day and moment by moment. We thank you for everything in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.